Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. I'm glad I'm saved this morning. Amen. Amen. Glad I know I'm saved. Uh, It is good to be saved. I'm glad I know when I die that I know where I'm going. But there's a whole lot more to being saved than just having a ticket to heaven. Amen. Uh, When I got saved, the moment that I got saved, if I could be totally honest with you, the only thing I was worried about in that moment really was not going to hell. Amen. I mean, I I didn't want to die in my sins. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. And that was really the only thing, if I'm being honest, that was truly on my mind when I got saved. The Lord saved me so that I don't have to go to hell. That That was my prayer. That was my concern. But I did not know when I got saved just how good it was going to be. Amen. It was wonderful in that moment, but it's been wonderful ever since then. I don't have to go back to when I was eight years old and I got saved to consider my salvation, whether or not it's real. I can go back to last week. I can go back to, to you know, in the mornings when I'm in prayer and devotion with the Lord and the Lord speaks to me. I can go back to those times in my life when He's, when he's walked with me, right? When He's taken me by the hand and I can think about those things because salvation was not just a moment, but it changed me. And it made me a child of God, and I have experienced that for all these years now. I mean, I guess I've been saved, uh, it'll be, I think, 28 years in March, if I'm I'm thinking correctly. And, I I mean, that's the vast majority of my life that I've been saved. And he has been as good to me every day since I got saved as he was the day he saved. Amen. Amen. In fact, I think I enjoy being saved now more than I did when I was 8 years old. I think I enjoy him more now than I did a year ago and the year before that because it's real, he's real, salvation is real, and it is good to be saved. Amen. Psalm chapter 105 this morning, I'll be honest, this has been one of those sort of mornings where I have struggled to get settled in my heart. I had a couple of thoughts that uh, I was kind of looking at and praying over and bouncing around and... um, Actually, had actually had an old message that I had preached some time ago that the Lord had brought back to my mind recently, and I looked at that, and I just, I just could not get settled. You know, uh, those of you, I know Brother Dennis mentioned something about that last night at the devotion. Sometimes, as a preacher, there's times when you walk in and you think, "Man, the Lord has absolutely He has given me this message for me right here, right now, at this time, and this is it." And then there's other times you go in saying, "Lord, I hope I got this right." <laughs> Amen. It's just sometimes I think the Lord wants us maybe to, to just show our faith. Amen. Amen. It's easy to get up and preach the right thing when it's the only thing you got. Yeah. But when you're praying, you say, Lord, I, I'm just going to put my faith that this is exactly what you've got. So it's kind of where I've been this morning, and I do believe I've, I've, I've landed where the Lord wants me. It just took a little bit more prayer, uh, which is always good, by the way. More prayer is good. Uh, but I feel like we're going to look here in Psalm 105, and then we'll turn to Genesis chapter 39 for the rest of the message. But let's read some verses here in Psalm 105. Let's read the first two verses first, uh, and then we'll skip down and read some more. Verse number one of Psalms 105 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms unto Him. Talk ye of all His wondrous works. Now, we could read on there, and, and, and I mean, it's all good. Hallelujah. But right here in these first couple of verses, he, the, the author of the psalm here is kind of opening up with a little bit of, of the theme of this chapter. And the chapter, Psalm 105, God, uh, the, the author, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to write this psalm about the works that God has done for Israel. Now, obviously, he can't write everything. But he is going to observe the wondrous works. You see there at the end of verse 2 where it talks about the talk he said of all his wondrous works. And now these psalms 
were written to be sang, right? We sing a couple uh, here in the church. There's one we'll sing sometime with some verses there. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And we'll sing sometimes the Psalms. And that's what they were written for is to recite and to sing. And so as the, as the author writes, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. He's saying we're going to sing and we're going to sing songs to him and we're going to sing psalms to him. And when we sing this one, we're going to be talking about his wondrous works. And he's focusing on not only just how good God is, but all the great things that God has done. And verse number one and verse number two are truly encouraging us and leading us to give thanks to the Lord. Uh, So let me just say this before I move on, and this ain't the message this morning, but we should always give thanks to the Lord. Amen. There's going to be some times where someone will say something to you and they will ask you a question or they will get into a conversation with you and you will be given an opportunity to give praise to God. Amen. Somebody, maybe you've been sick, or maybe you had an injury, or maybe you had some trial you were going through, and someone you know might say, how are you doing, or how are things? And it's an opportunity when you can look at your life, and even in good times or rough times or whatever it may be, and say, and God sure has been good to me. Amen? It's like those, you ask them, someone will say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm blessed. Amen? I've been blessed. And that is giving praise to the Lord. There's sometimes where one-on-one will have an opportunity to give praise and to give thanks unto the Lord, to make known, it said, His deeds among the people. We should always be trying to show forth to others how good God has been to us. Now, I know sometimes we're sick, and sometimes we go through trials, and sometimes things are hard, and some close friends or family might say, how are you doing? You say, well, you know, honestly, it's, it's been kind of tough. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I, I'm struggling. I mean, you read the Psalms, there's a lot of David saying, I am struggling. But what you'll find is even when David said, I am struggling, he would then go on to say, but the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. God has been good to me. Even in my struggles, even in in the the trials that I'm in, that God is still good. We, We often say that thing, right? God's good all the time, right? We should be putting that forth. And I just want to mention that before we move on because that is really that is really the easiest way that we can be a witness is just letting everyone else see that God is good in our lives. Amen. Singing to Him. Singing to Him. Give thanks unto Him. Give praise unto Him. If you can't think of a time in the last week where you to someone else has said, God sure has been good, you ought to up the amount of praise you've been doing. You ought to up the amount of thanks you've been doing. You ought to up the amount of making known His deeds among the people that you've been doing. I'm not telling you to... To go out and, you know, get in front of a, a group, big crowd of people and start praising the Lord, you can if you want to. But I'm just saying in the small things in life, you know, just saying, hey, you know what, God sure has been good to me. I, you know, I'm thankful. I sure am glad I'm saved, you know. In small ways that we can be an influence and show forth the goodness of God in our lives. In verse number 17, and we're going to skip down through this first part where the author speaks of Abraham and Isaac. Excuse me, I put those two names together just then. Abraham and Isaac. But down in verse number 17, he begins to speak about a man we all know by the name of Joseph. The Bible says in verse 17 of this chapter, he, and that he there, is the Lord in those first few verses. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 39, and we will look here at one particular moment in the life of Joseph that I want to shine a light on. And let me me submit this to you. Uh, Those of you who are Bible students know that in the Bible there is uh, not found a better picture of an Old Testament type of Christ than is found in Joseph. Joseph is a man uh, whom we can see many parallels between him and Christ. But this morning we won't really focus as much on that as we will specifically here on the life of Joseph. Joseph is a young man who God had a great will for. 
Joseph is also a young man who went through great trials in his life. Uh, In fact, there's scarcely a more tragic event in the Bible, I would say, uh, in, in, in a home than that of Joseph being taken by his own brothers who should have loved him, whom he should have been able to trust, right? They took him, they stripped him down of his robe, and they threw him into a pit, tried to, they, they were working up a plan to kill him, and then, by the grace of God, rather than killing him, only sold him as a servant to the Midianites. Amen. What a horrible thing to do to your own brother. What a horrible thing to do to anyone, but especially your own brother. You know, I mean, they literally said, goodbye, good riddance, we'll never see you again, told daddy was dead, and sold him as a slave and thought, whatever happens to him happens, we don't even care. What a horrible thing to happen to him. Joseph, a young man who was a good young man, who was obedient to his father, and whom God had given visions, right? Here he is being sold into slavery, and those he had most been able to trust had turned against him. In chapter 37, you can read about that, we won't read it all today, but, but as Joseph begins his journey... In Genesis chapter number 39, in verse number 1, we're going to find that God had a specific destination in mind for this young man. God had a very specific plan for Joseph. Would you agree? God had a greater plan. God's greater plan for Joseph, we might look at it and say, well, God's greater plan for Joseph was that he would make a way to save his own family from the famine that was coming, right? Now he had those dreams about that, how they would all bow to him and all those things. And he's going to hear dreams about the years of famine and the years of plenty from the Pharaoh and all those things. And God had a plan to use Joseph so that when Israel and his brothers needed somewhere to go and get food, that he could take care of God's people. That was God's greater plan for Joseph. But you might even just zoom out a little further and say, God's plan for Joseph is that God would use him to preserve his father and his brethren because one day God planned to bring a man from the seed of his brother uh, Judah. And that seed would be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That Joseph's greater plan with God is that God planned to use him to save his brethren so that one day God's only son could be born of them. So Now that is the long game. I mean, we're in Genesis chapter 39, and we're not going to see the birth of Jesus Christ until all the way up after the Old Testament is over. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, right? God's got a big plan. Joseph's a part of that plan. I want to go down through these verses and just show you a few things about this and some things I think you can take with you that will help you. First of all, I want you to see number one. In verse number one, we see Joseph's got a problem. And I say, amen. From his perspective, would you say that Joseph looked around and said, I am in a seriously problematic situation. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, brought down, and that seemed to be the trajectory he was going in. He's brought down to Egypt and to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him in the hands of the Ishmaelites, which have brought him down hither. He has gone from the top to the bottom just like that. He didn't walk into a valley. He was thrown into a pit and then dragged into a valley. I mean, he has been thrust into a horrible situation. Really, of, of no fault. it's no fault of his own. You say, well, he had to run his mouth and tell his brothers about those dreams he had. Well, you know, big deal. I don't think that really earned him being sold into slavery. Can we agree? He'd not done anything to deserve it. Here he is. He is now a slave of the Midianites. And he comes into Egypt, and this officer, Pharaoh, this captain, this wealthy man, Potiphar, has now said, I'll take him, and I believe you'll read here in a little while, it's because he was a goodly young man. There was something about looking at Joseph that made him stand out. He looks like a healthy young man. I'm going to take him and make him a slave. That's what he did. He bought him. So we see Joseph's problem. He He has been thrust into a deep and dark situation. He has flown down so quickly from the mountaintop. And I mean, he was on the mountaintop. Right before this, his dad comes and gives him that coat of many colors, that coat that signifies basically that he was going to receive this inheritance from his father. I mean, this this special love from his dad. He's been given visions of God that one day 
that basically even his own brethren would bow down to him. I mean, that's pretty high up on the mountaintop, right? He had a pretty good day followed by inarguably the worst day of his entire life. I mean, from one second, from the top to the bottom. I mean, just a plummet. And now he's looking around. He's with the Midianites. He don't know what's going to happen. And then he gets bought up, sold into slavery. And we see Joseph's prosperity in verse number 2. Now, he's a slave. Let's not forget that. He's not living the high life. At the end of the day, his life belongs to someone else now. Where he was free, and he was a, 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 just a son of a father, God's chosen people now, he is a slave in a wicked place, away from anyone he's ever known. But in spite of the fact that he's in a dark place, the Bible says in verse number 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now can I tell you, that should be underlined. Because that's the most important part of this whole story. The Lord was with him. Was he in a dark place? Yes, he was. Did he go from the top to the bottom? Yes, he did. Was he suddenly from being the favorite son of his wealthy father, becoming the slave of an officer in Egypt with no future? Yes, but the Lord was with him. Amen? I believe it was David who said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. Who? The Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. The same one who went with David when he faced off against Goliath, the one who said, is there not a cause? The Lord will deliver this Philistine dog into our hands. The same one who went with him is now with this young man, a slave in Egypt. The Lord's with him. His prosperity is he the Lord was with him and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. So what does that mean? He made it to prosper. It means he was successful in everything he did. Every task that Potiphar gave Joseph to do, he did it well, and it grew because of it. Every job he put him to, it was better because he was there. Everything that was put into his hand was blessed and prospered and increased and successful so much, that, so much that this wicked man, I mean, not a believer of God, a man in Egypt where they worship false gods, they did not know the God of heaven. Potiphar was not a follower after the God Jehovah. But he looks at this man, he says, man, the gods, the Lord, someone is blessing everything that he does. And he saw that the Lord was with him, that there was something special about this boy. God took Joseph into a horrible place, into a bad position, going from the top to the very bottom, and now God has begun to prosper him so much that even the wicked master, the slave owner, is saying, there's something special about this boy. And God begins to prosper everything that falls into Joseph's hands. We see that in verse 2 and 3. Verse 4 through verse number 6, we see Joseph's power. Joseph begins to exhibit something beyond just a little blessing, but that God's power becomes manifested in Joseph's life. Look here with me. And Joseph found grace in his sight, speaking of Potiphar, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. See that last part there? He was a goodly person and well favored. Now I believe that last line where it says that Joseph was a goodly person, I mentioned that a minute ago, and that he was well favored, I believe that means in Egypt by the people around him. They saw that he was a goodly person. That means he was handsome to look on. He was likable. And everybody liked him. He was well favored, you know. He was, you could say, he was charismatic. Who? This slave. This slave of Potiphar is a charismatic man who everybody likes and everybody likes to look at him and he's just, and everything he's doing is good. He's just got the golden touch, right? What is his power though? What's his power with God? His power with God is this. It is the favor of God. It was not the favor of men that made Joseph to prosper. 
It was not that people liked him. It was not that he was goodly to look upon. His power was in the favor of God. The favor of God on Joseph that God looked down on him and he blessed him was so much that he even blessed those around him because of his favor for Joseph. Why was Potiphar's house blessed? Because Joseph was in it. Why was Potiphar's fields? Why were they blessed? Because Joseph handled the fields. In fact, it grew so much power and so much prosperity in the life of Joseph that Potiphar stepped back and said, you just take everything I got and you touch it and God will bless it to the point that he did not even know what he had. He no longer knew how much money he had. He didn't know how much land he had gained. He didn't know how well his crops were doing. It said all he knew was the bread that was given to him, the things he took himself to do with, and he just left all the rest in Joseph's hand and said, he'll take care of it. I mean, Joseph has gone from the top to the bottom to pretty high up again. Now, I wouldn't say he's at the top because he is still a slave. And everything that he handles is not his. It's in his hand, but it belongs to Potiphar. It does not belong to him. So he's not back where he was. But, he, man, he's come, he's come pretty far up. I mean, he's come a long way, right? God has taken Joseph. From, think about it from Joseph's perspective. He's gone through a very... Can you imagine those days with the Midianites? I imagine they were not very kind to him. I imagine they beat him. I imagine they did not feed him well. In a place like that, probably wasn't a lot of water just prevalent. He probably was thirsty, hungry. And I don't know exactly how long it was from the time that they sold them to the Midianites to the Midianites selling them in Egypt. But it's not just a, it's not just a hop over to the next town. There's a journey, right? They got to get there. And I don't know, I, I couldn't tell you because the Bible doesn't expressly state how long he was like that. But I'll tell you this, that if he spent one night, two nights, three nights, four nights with the Midianites, he was going hungry. He was hurting. He was tired. He was being abused. I mean, he was in a dark place. And he's thinking, God, what is happening to me, right? I mean, wouldn't you be? Have you ever been in a situation where you looked around yourself and said, God, why is this happening? When I was 16 years old, I was driving my dad. I'd had my license for about a month. I was driving my dad to the radio station. He had to preach in it. I think we had to be there at 8.30. So it wasn't real early, but it was kind of early on a Sunday morning. It was so it was. Coming into the cooler part of the year, we had really just started using the heat a little bit in the van. Or it wasn't a van, it was a blazer, a Chevy blazer we were driving. I believe it was white. And we were about three-quarters of the way from my dad's house to where we were heading to in Cave City, where the radio station was where he would preach. And I fell asleep at the wheel, I guess. Seems that way. All I remember is driving, everything's fine. Wasn't nodding off, everything's good. And all of a sudden, I hear my dad yell my name, and I wake up. We were on the other side of the road. And we hit a stone tile, a culvert, and it broke the front axle, and we flipped that blazer about eight times down a hill. Sixteen. I'd have my license for a month. Now, I remember flipping, because any of y'all that's ever been in a car accident, it's like time slows down. I mean, it is. Your body starts pumping that adrenaline, and you're, everything just slow motion. I remember yelling out, God, why is this happening? I remember that. 16, you're young, I'm young. I was asleep two seconds ago, and now I'm flipping down. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. Later, my dad, he remembered that, and he asked me about it, and we talked about it a little bit. Because the truth is, when you're in the middle of a frightening situation, and I imagine Joseph was scared. Now, let's not act like he's some kind of superhuman who does experience fear. He just got sold in slavery by his brethren, being mistreated by his slavers. There's no doubt that he said, God, why is this happening to me? What happened to me being exalted and my brethren bound down to me? I have no doubt he experienced fear in that bottom. But now, he's come out of that, right? He's back at the top. I mean, suddenly he's got, he's got more wealth in his hands than he's probably ever even seen. He is exalted amongst all the other servants. He is the master of Potiphar's house, this wealthy Wealthy officer just under Pharaoh. I mean, things are going good. And he's thinking, oh, okay, things are good again. Everything's great. Maybe this is, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe one day Potiphar will give all this to me and it'll be mine. And maybe this is how it's all going to happen. He's thinking, I am seeing the will of God come to pass right here before my eyes. And he thinks he's got it all figured out. He's already come through the dark storm in the valley, right? And now he's back on the top and everything's great. He's well favored. Everybody loves him. 
He's got all the money he needs. Everything is great. And then comes verse number 7. And in verse number 7, let me point out to you again, Joseph has done nothing wrong. He's doing right. And in spite of the fact that he's been doing right, things keep going wrong. Do you know what I said? In spite of the fact that he is doing right, things keep going wrong. And in verse number 7, we see it came to pass after these things. After what? That he'd been there for a while. Potiphar had seen God blessing him. Potiphar had put all this money and all this wealth and all this power in his hand to the point that now Joseph has been running things long enough that Potiphar don't even know what he's got. So some time has passed. Then came to pass after these things that his master's wife, that's Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph. Now we know he was a goodly person and well-favored. Everybody likes him. He's an attractive young man. He's, he's the talk of the town, right? And she starts looking at him. She cast her eyes upon him and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. That means he don't even know how much money and how much wealth and all the things that I've got going for him. He don't even know what's in the house. He said, he hath committed all that he hath in my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, except for Potiphar. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now I want to point out a couple things to you there. Joseph's in a great place. And in spite of this great place, suddenly there comes upon him a great predicament. It's not a simple temptation that has come up against Joseph. It's the wife of his master. There's a lot that's going to go along with that, right? And he's going to reveal that. He's going to say... But my master has given everything he has to me except for one thing, and that's you. I can't help but think about the Garden of Eden when I read that. How that God had given to Adam and Eve everything except one thing. Now who was it that offered that one thing to Eve? It was Satan. It was the serpent. It was the devil. And he was the most subtle, right? And he came to Eve and he offered this thing and said, Thou, thou, thou shalt not surely die, right? Here's Joseph, and he's in a place of wealth, he's in a place of, of prosperity, and everything's going good. And in his eyes, there is only, he says that, there's one thing that my master has held back from me. One thing, and that is you, because thou art his wife. One thing. And then he says, how then can I do this great wickedness? Now, when he says this great wickedness, he's he hasn't, he hasn't transferred the topic away from Potiphar just yet. He is saying, how can I do this horrible, evil, wicked thing to Potiphar who has been so good to me, right? He's given me everything he's got. It's in my hand. How could I then turn and bite the hand that's feeding me, right? The one thing he doesn't want me to have is his wife. You're the one thing that he's keeping from me. Why should I then turn and do this great wickedness against him and hurt him after he has been so good to me? But then not only does he point out that it would be bad against Potiphar, but he says this, and sin against God. For me to do this would not only be a wickedness against Potiphar and an evil against all good he's done for me, but it would be a sin against the God of heaven. Now, why is Joseph being blessed? Why does Joseph have prosperity? Why is everything that he touches going and turning to gold? Because God is with him. Isn't that what the Bible said? The Lord was with him in verse 2, right? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Why did Potiphar start giving him more jobs? Because he saw that the Lord was with him. And now Joseph was looking at it and saying, Ma'am, why would I throw away everything that's going good in my life and sin against God when He's the whole reason that this good is happening in the first place? Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Joseph might have been tempted? The Bible does not tell us if Potiphar's wife was a beautiful woman. It doesn't tell us. But Joseph's a man, and here comes this woman with authority and power, and she begins to tempt him. 
Now, he refuses, the Bible says in verse 8. He rejects that temptation. He pushes back against that temptation. He pushes back against that offer to sin. But let me submit this truth to you. Any time in your life, when God begins to work, and God begins to favor, and God begins to use you to do something for Him, temptation will come up against you. In fact, it even happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately after being baptized, the devil tempted him in the wilderness. Right? I mean, at the very beginning of his ministry, who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The devil followed after him in the wilderness where he's fasting for 40 days because he knows all the stuff he's about to have to go out and do. And the devil's tempting him. Hey, why don't you just turn that rock into bread? Right? Why don't you just cast yourself down? The angels will catch you. Why don't you bow down to me and I'll give you everything, all these kingdoms that you can see. And if the Lord is going to endure temptation when he is doing the work of God, what makes you think that he won't do the same to you? Joseph had, to, had decided, it's apparent in his life, he had decided he was going to stay with God. Can you see that? He's looking at this woman who's making him an offer of temptation, he said, I can't do that because I can't sin. I can't do this evil thing to Potiphar, but I, I can't sin against God. Amen. That's a big deal. That in his heart, he has decided, I, I don't want to anger God. I don't want to turn God against me. I don't want to do anything to hurt my relationship with God. That God is blessing him, even in a dark place. Now, he could be bitter against God. But rather than be bitter about where he's at and the way things have changed... He's looking at all the good that God is doing in his life, and he says, I cannot sin against God. This is Joseph's predicament. This woman comes up against him, and he is tempted. But when he faces that temptation, let me show you quickly in verse number 10, we see Joseph's prevention. Verse number 10 said, It came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Now, in verse number 9, she cut right to the chase. She wanted him to commit fornication. But in verse number 10, she's just trying to get him to come by her. Come be with me. Just, just come around me. She thinks I can wear him down, right? Devil ever done any of that to y'all? Let's be honest. Devil ever worn you down? Here's, what God, here's the way the devil does not work. He does not work like this, Jace. The devil doesn't go to someone who's living for the Lord, reading their Bible, praying, they're in church, and things are going good, and walk up to them and say, hey, why don't you dive right off the deep end tomorrow and just, just become a, you know, go into drugs, go into fornication, go into alcohol, go into every awful thing that could possibly hurt your life, and just dive head first in. That's not how he works. He's subtle. He don't do that. He just drops a little thread here, a little thread there. He starts putting things in what you're seeing and what you're hearing. He puts things in your way to catch your eye, to make you think about things you ought not think about. He slowly wears you down. It's like a hunter. Some of y'all been putting out that corn now for... A month, right? Got your trail cam. Brother Travis keeps showing me that one on his trail cam. You ain't shot that thing yet, have you? Okay. That's what we do when you're hunting. Isn't that what you do? You start a little here, a little there, trying to pull them. Come this way. Come this way. Get them calls. Come this way. You don't just bust out. No, you subtle. You pull. And that's what she's doing. Say, hey, won't you, let's just come sit with me. Come talk with me. Come walk with me. Come, it said, lie beside me. Come sit down here with me. Come be near me. And Joseph said, no. He hearkened not unto her. You know, what he's, you know what he starts doing? He is trying to prevent the temptation from getting him. And he is obeying what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians and uh, chapter number 4 where it says, neither give place to the devil. Don't even give him room in your life. Brother Dennis often quotes that verse, right? The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy that's what he's coming for. He's a thief. He's a, he's a crook. He's a hunter. And he wants to take. He wants to take. And that's exactly what he's trying to do for Joseph. And I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that the devil thought if he could get Joseph here, maybe he could prevent the plan of God. What plan of God? The same one he's trying to prevent when he sends the temptation to David. Look at the line of Christ and the men who are in it. Judah. Go back to chapter 38 and read about Judah. God's plan is to take Judah and to make his seed become 
Jesus Christ, Judah, tempted to sin, does horrible things. God don't throw him away. David, tempted to sin. He does sin. God don't throw his line away. Solomon, all these. Go look at the devil tempting specifically those who are in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. You know what you find out? He's trying real hard to throw a wrench in God's plans. That's what he's trying to do. Joseph doesn't give place to the devil. He won't go near her. He won't hang out with her. He is trying to prevent that temptation in his life. Let me show you his prevailing in verse number 11 and 12. And the Lord, it said, and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. And I like this, got him out. Amen. He said, I am going to get myself up and out of here in a hurry. That's what he did. He overcame his temptation. You know why he overcame his temptation? Well, first, I told you he was doing things to try and prevent it from getting to him, right? He had a right heart who was right with God and serving God. But can I submit this to you? Do you think that Joseph could have fallen to that temptation? Do you think maybe if he hadn't, if, you may think maybe if he had sat and talked with her and spent some time around her here and there and allowed her to draw him in, that maybe when that temptation come, the next time he'd be a little weaker? And the next time he'd be a little weaker? Let me ask you this. We're talking about his prevailing in this situation he's in. Is anybody going to know? What's the verse say? There was no other men in the house. He went in the house to do his business. He had to go in the house. He's not there... He's not there when he shouldn't be. He's not doing something he shouldn't be doing. I think that she set a trap for him. I think she's made sure nobody be in the house because she knew he'd be there to do business. So, well, maybe that's not the case. Okay, well, then that's fine. Let's just say the devil worked it out that way. The devil put something in everybody's way so none of the other men would be in the house. It just so happened to be the time that Joseph had to go there for his business. Nobody is there but her and him, and she knows that, and she goes up and she grabs him. What, what better excuse could he possibly have? God, the woman that thou gavest me. That's what Adam said. God, you gave me the woman and she offered me the, the apple or whatever. It wasn't an apple, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I ate it. It's her fault. Well, here's Joseph. He could have went, God, I, I'm sorry that I committed the sin, but I mean, she, she, got her, she grabbed me. What was I supposed to do? So you know what he did? He ran. It says he fled. He literally ran. He ran and said he got himself up and out of there so fast and so fervently that she ripped his garment off. Now, I don't know if it was a shirt, a jacket, a vest, or a robe, or whatever it was, but she grabbed him so good that he had to spin out and run. So that's kind of extreme, is it? What the Bible says specifically about this kind of sin? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 18. Flee fornication. Flee. What does it say that Joseph did? He fled. Y'all see that? He fled. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. By the way, this is Paul talking to the pastor of, of Ephesus. He says this, flee youthful lusts. That's not even fornication. That's just lusts that are in our hearts and in our minds. Here's what he says. You need to get away from that. Are y'all hearing me? Now, not everybody that's in here this morning has the same temptation. Right? For some people, the temptation might be substance abuse. For some, the temptation might be sexual things and lust of the flesh like we're looking at right here. For some, the temptation may be gossip. For some, the temptation may be pride. Well, I don't know what the temptation is in your life, in your heart, the thing that eats you up, but I know this. If you want to escape, the Bible says that we sin when we are drawn away, as it says, of our own lusts and enticed. That word lust, it is just a deep, strong, physical desire. It's not always something that's carnal like it is in this case. Whatever it is in your life that draws you, that thing in your life that you know that if you get around that, it is going to pull you to sin. Here is Joseph. And he sees it. You know why I think he's running? He's not running because he's afraid for his life. He's running because he's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't. Amen. He's afraid that if he does not run, this could be the moment when it all falls apart. Now, some of y'all know the story. Some of y'all thinking, it's going to fall apart anyway. But is it really? We can see Joseph's prevailing here. He overcame the temptation. And you know how he did it? 
He ran from it. Now let me say this, and I need to move on and close. But sometimes the reason we can't get away from temptation in our life is because we just kind of step to the side. But you know what the Bible said about Joseph? That when she tried to get him to come and be with her, he would not hearken to her voice. Why can't you stop doing those things that you know are bad for you, that you know hurt you, that you know hurt the Lord, that you know are wrong, that are sinful? Why can't you stop looking at those things? Why can't you stop doing those things? Why can't you stop saying those things and thinking those things? Because you're right up against it all the time, and you don't do anything to separate yourself from it. If you, Hey, young people, if you can't handle having a cell phone without the temptation of the things that are on there, you don't need to have it. And by the way, the same thing goes for me. I'll go get me a flip phone. If this right here becomes a sort of temptation that could ruin everything that God's trying to do in my life, I'd be better off to stomp it and get me a flip phone. Amen? They sell them at Walmart. Hallelujah. That's a fact. So, well, that's a little extreme. Well, here's the problem. If you stick around, it'll destroy you. If you stick around, the thief, he's going to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to steal first, take some things from you. Then he's going to start killing some things in your life that were once good, and by the time he's done, it's all going to be destroyed, every bit of it. If Joseph had failed, would God's plan have failed? I don't think so. God is a sovereign God. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Right? If everything that God invested in Joseph had fallen apart, God could have found someone else. Amen. Absolutely. He absolutely could have. But if Joseph had fallen apart, then what would have happened to Joseph? We know Joseph. He's in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We know Joseph. We just read of the great wondrous works of God in Psalm 105 about the life of Joseph. And for the sake of time, because I need to close, I won't read down through the rest of the chapter. But you can read. We know what happens. That white, she's got that coat in her hand, and she's so mad that he spurned her, so she takes it, and she starts telling other people around, Joseph came in and tried to force himself on me. And, 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 and then I, I screamed out for him to stop, and he ran away. And look, I've still got his jacket. I've still got his clothes. And she goes, she tells her husband, Potiphar. And Potiphar, who is not a godly man and has no spiritual discernment, sees that, and he becomes very wrathful. And what's he do? He takes Joseph. And when he heard the words of his wife in verse 19, he, he, he took the servant, Joseph, in verse 20, and he put him into prison. So he's gone from the top to the very bottom, to way back up here again, and then suddenly, everything goes wrong again. And in the midst of all the things in Joseph's life going wrong, guess what he is still doing? He's still doing right. Would it not have been easy for Joseph to say, God, I'm done. I've had enough. This roller coaster of a life that you've put me in, I've not done anything to deserve this, and I am finished. Sure. In fact, some of us, we might even look at that and say, well, you know, the situation he's in, it's hard to blame him. Have you ever had moments of weak faith? Moments of doubt? Sure. But here's Joseph. Verse 20, he's taken into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. He was there in the prison. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. All of the devil's plotting and his planning, all the woman's wiles and, and her words of enticement to, to Joseph, none of it stopped or interrupted the plan of God. Someone without discernment might look and say, well, it looks like, Joseph, you said this was God's plan. God put you in Potiphar's house, and this is how you were going to save Israel. What are you going to do now? You're in prison. How are you going to help your brethren if you're in prison? Well. Some might look at that and say, say, look, you see, see the plan of God, it's falling apart. But they've discounted something. God has never left Joseph. God is with him. 
God is protecting him. And not only that, but when he gets into prison, even in the prison house, God is prospering Joseph. And suddenly, he's basically the ruler over the whole prison. Everywhere he goes, everything he touches turns to gold. Why? Let me ask you this simple question. We're closing. What do you reckon would have happened when Potiphar's wife had come to him and he had given in to that temptation and he'd committed adultery with the wife of his master? What do you reckon would have happened? Do you think that Potiphar would have found out about it? Maybe. I mean, there's a good chance. Somebody, if it was an ongoing affair, it's eventually going to come out. We know that. Be sure your sin will find you out, right? So it could quite possibly have ended the same way with him in prison, right? What would have happened if he had disregarded his master and the Lord? If he wouldn't have cared how it would affect Potiphar, not would have cared how it affected the Lord. Maybe, maybe he would have got caught, maybe he wouldn't have got caught. But there's one thing that I can tell you would definitely have happened. We'd have a different story from what we've read here at the end of this passage. Right there in verse number 21. It would not start the way it started, but the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph said, I can't do this sin against God. Isn't that what he said? Because he knew the only way I'm going to prosper in this life the only way I'm going to succeed in this life, the only way I'm going to have any joy in this life is if I stick with God. Even when things were hard. Even when things were good. He stayed with God, didn't he? What if he hadn't? I submit to you, it would not have interrupted the plan of God because God would have made a way. But it would have interrupted the life of Joseph. You can read about it throughout your Bible. People who... Who, who were doing good and running well, and then all of a sudden, look at David. The greatest king who ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet, the last, the last half of his life is riddled with sorrow and suffering that he brought on himself because of the sin that he gave in to. Now, God did not kill him for one reason. He repented. But he still lost his children. Right? What about Demas in the New Testament? You know Demas? How Paul said he was his fellow laborer, he was servant in the faith, and then all of a sudden said, Demas hath forsaken me, forsaken me, having loved this present world. God's plan never stopped because of the failure of these, of these men in the Bible, I've told you. But things changed for them. Psalm 37 verse 34 says this, Wait on the Lord, keep his way. See that? Wait on the Lord. That's Joseph. God, things are, things are bad. Oh, wait, they're good. God, things are bad again. But then, if he waited, they get good. And we all know how the story ends. Joseph is going to reach that place of essentially kingship in Egypt. And God is going to fulfill the promise he made to him. But for him to get there, you know what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to wait. Not only is he going to have to wait, though, he is going to have to keep his way. Keeping his way that is staying away from sin and keeping on the path God has for me. Young people, you want to wreck your life? You want to wreck your life, you just let temptation do what it wants to. Every time it wants you to look at something you shouldn't or say something you shouldn't or do something you shouldn't, just do it. Before you know it, you'll be my age and you'll be looking back going, how did I get here? Anybody in here this morning want to testify of that this morning? How quickly you can destroy your own life? Amen. Jace, how old are you? 16? Did you hit 16? 15 right now? Darian, how old are you? 16? The devil can do a whole lot of damage at 16, 15, 13 that will keep you in a state of destruction till you're 30, 40, 50. How? If we don't wait on God, if we don't keep His way, you'll be amazed to find out what temptation can do to you. What it can do to your heart, 
what it can do to your mind, what it can do to your body. You think, oh, I'm just having a good time. Everything's great. Everything's fine. It won't be. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, the end thereof are the ways of death, the Bible says. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. I, I mean, I could stand here for another 30 minutes and just give you verse after verse after verse after verse after verse of how that sin will deteriorate and destroy your life, destroy your heart, and destroy, here's the saddest part, Destroy the plan that God has for you in your life. Joseph did good when everything around him went wrong. And because of it, God saw his plan fulfilled and Joseph got to experience that. If Joseph had given into temptation and he walked away from God, God would have still found a way because he had a greater plan. And that plan was his son, Jesus Christ. But do you know who would not have been a part of that plan? Joseph. The one who would have suffered if Joseph had given in to his temptation is not God. It's Joseph. He is the only one who stood to lose everything really in his life right there. Will you hear that warning this morning? Sometimes in life things don't go right. Sometimes in life things do go right. And sometimes when we're at the top of the mountain the temptation comes knocking on our door. And sometimes when we're down in the valley, we want to throw in the towel and give up and not wait on God anymore. But let me encourage you that if we will wait on the Lord and keep His way, He shall exalt thee, the verse says. God will exalt us if we will wait and keep His way. Stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.